this show is to get to the heart of well-being through inspirational stories of everyday people, expert insights from a number of health and lifestyle related disciplines, and exploration of topics that underpin well-being. If you want to take control of your well-being and put yourself front and center in your life, then this is the podcast for you. I want you to feel calm, nurtured and inspired so you can enjoy your life and your success. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you know someone else that would get value from the show as well, please share it with them. Join me on this journey and let's live the fab life together. Today I'm delighted to introduce my special guest Margie Bronstein. She's a Quest for Life counsellor and facilitator and she's opening up the series on mental health. So welcome Margie. Thank you very much Bev, it's lovely to be here and thanks for inviting me. Great to have you here. So let's tell the listeners a little bit about you and what you do Margie. Well, I've been a counsellor, Bev, for over 30 years. Um, I initially started as a volunteer counsellor, as a lot of people do with Lifeline when I was a teenager, um, and I really loved it. And so I went on and became a professional registered somatic psychotherapist. And um, so I'm a clinical member of PAFA, which is our Counselling Federation of Australia. But really the work I primarily do as a group facilitator. I still see clients in private practice one-on-one. But really, I teach people um, meditation, consciousness work, um, really how to improve the quality of their day-to-day lives. More recently, uh, I've extended my services into public speaking, and I'm getting out and about for events and conferences. And as you said, one of the organizations I work a lot with is Quest for Life Foundation. But really, I have my own business, and I I work for them um, periodically, which I love to do as well, because I love working with big groups of people where they all get to explore those beliefs and habits that get in the way of finding those deep levels of peace. And I really think people are looking for peace. They do feel overwhelmed and stressed and anxious. So what I really believe in is that um, when people practice relaxation and meditation, the nervous system's given a chance to relax a bit. And I really think that's the key to finding you know, a happier life and to reducing the, the overwhelm that people are, are living with in our society. And how would you describe your own journey to where you are today? Well, you know, when I discovered my own personal development in, the, in my teens, really, in 20s, I just fell in love with my own personal development. I think there's nothing better than um, discovering that there's more to discover. So uh, I'm really committed to my own personal purpose in life, which is about um, teaching love, knowing love, compassion. Um, and I guess I started out in my own dysfunctional family in the 1960s. I haven't yet met anyone with a functional family. <laughs> um, there are a lot of joys in amongst some of my challenges as a child. So, uh, you know, that can be quite confusing when you've had a good time, but there's also some, some worrying moments as well. Um, but my parents did the best they could. And goodness me, I started doing encounter groups, we called them, in the 70s when I was 13 years old. So I've been on this path for a very long time. As I said, I became a volunteer counsellor with Lifeline and then I went on to the Wayside Chapel at King's Cross. So when I was 19, I was on suicide watch at the Wayside Chapel with all heroin addicts and all sorts of people in crisis. So that was an eye-opener at a young age. And then I went on, discovered my own personal development, as I said, and that led me to becoming a teacher and therapist. And I haven't really strayed from that path um, since becoming a teacher uh, it's nearly 20 years since I've been doing um, deep personal work in groups. And then about 10 years ago, I started working for Patria King and Quest for Life. 
and that is such a beautiful organisation. Just recently this year I published a book and uh, all about stress and now I'm delivering my own workshops and coaching as well. So I'm quite busy but it's all around the same stuff. It's all about um, how to actually use your heart to have a better life and um, to, to manage your feelings better, to manage your life better. And so today we wanted to talk about stress and so I think so that we're all talking about the same thing. Perhaps mm. if we talk about what is stress and what is its yep. impact on the body and sleep. Okay. Let me just give you a little bit of background of the term stress and where it came from. The first time it was ever applied to human beings and mental health really was back in the 1930s, a guy called Hans Saley. Maybe you've heard of him, I'm not sure. But what he did was he worked with small animals, mice, um, and he discovered that when they were exposed to chronic trauma and pressure, that eventually, all he noticed was, eventually it brought on extreme fatigue, mental breakdown, and disease. And so he was the first one to use that term stress in a way that applied to animals. Before that, it had only really applied to stretching a piece of metal using an external force until it was put under stress. It didn't actually have a negative connotation, the word stress. But after Saley published his work, it just it, even though they didn't have the internet then, it went a bit viral. And people came to understand the word stress to mean an unpleasant, harmful feeling state. And I think that's what it's generally become taken to mean now. Uh, it's like it's something that needs to be avoided, uh, stretched too far or stretched to breaking point. So stress or distress, as he was, uh, he, he used it, was seen as a negative light, in a negative light. But its positive effects were actually overlooked as time went on. But really, we now know that there's good stress and bad stress. Saley called the good stress eustress and the bad stress distress. And it's quite good to work out the difference between those two. So I guess going back to the two types of stress, it shows up in the, the good stress Stress is what gets you out of bed. It mobilizes all your systems so you can get up, use your energy to create and get active in the world. You know, we use our energy in that way and that, that's the good part of stress. The thing is, you get to the point where if you don't stop and rest once your energy has been used up, you move outside of what's comfortable and you reach a limit. You know, you need to replenish yourself. In Saley's model, he describes it like a hill that you climb to a crest or a high point where you feel depleted. He calls it the hump, a tipping point, if you like, that alerts us to we need to stop and refuel. But what we actually do, Bev, is we keep soldiering on, especially in our world where the message we get is keep going, soldier on. And then what happens is you go over that tipping point because you just keep going. And then it becomes an enemy because we head towards over the other side of the hill, down towards exhaustion and breakdown. And this breakdown effect is the scourge of modern society, really. Uh, I think it underpins a lot of the physical and mental illnesses people are um, experiencing at the moment. You know, what I re realise is that there's obviously some triggers along the way mm -hmm. for individuals yep. to know that they're reaching that tipping yep. point. Yep. So, so what are some of those signals? Yeah, so the key to managing it, I suppose, that, that bad stress, is to start to become aware of the signals when you've reached the hump and to pull back before you tip into that exhaustion phase, which kind of you, leave, you lose your sense of joy in that place. So stress, stress affects people differently. It kind of depends on your own history with stress and the state of your nervous system when 
a stressor is applied. Imagine that you receive a large unexpected bill in the mail, you know, or you lose someone you love, or you lose your job, or you've got a child who's unwell. You know, you'll experience the effects in a uniquely personal way. If you're already under the pump, if your nervous system is already stretched to breaking point, and something else is added in, like an unexpected crisis, then it becomes the sort of the last straw, and you could yell, cry, collapse, break down. With an overloaded nervous system already in place, all the other systems are affected. Your digestion, your sleep patterns, your mood. You know, it really does become a recipe for depression and chronic anxiety. So what we need to do to manage it is to give our nervous system as much rest and support to come back to a relaxed state as often as we can through our day, our week, our life. Because then when something happens, either unexpected or stressful at work, say, we're kind of got a bit of insurance built in. We're not, we're not already stretched to breaking point. That last straw doesn't happen, that kind of effect. So we need to find more ways to live in that zone where we're not quite at that breaking point, but we're using our energy to live a great life. It's not to say you shouldn't move outside of your comfort zone and stretch sometimes, only that you shouldn't live outside it all the time. Somewhere between the comfort zone and the, that hump that we reach, that tipping point, there's really a sweet spot that's very joyful and, and vitalizing. Yeah. And so when, when somebody is dealing with a lot of stress in their life and they're in that sort of getting into the mm. distress zone, yeah. what is the impact physically on the body and on your sleep? So what happens is when your nervous system is really, really overextended, all the systems of your body have to stretch themselves to try and keep up. So your, your digestion, for a start, means that you've got too many stress chemicals coming into your body. And when you have the stress chemicals like adrenaline and cortisol in your body, more than you are supposed to have, like when it's chronically pumping out there or leaking out into the system, your body actually becomes inflamed. There's too much acidity in the blood. And when that happens, your immune system has to then move into action to try and support you because your body is actually under stress. And how can I put it? Too much inflammation in the blood, especially by cortisol, is really seen as underpinning most disease processes in the body. So we want to make sure we keep our body in an alkaline state, not an acidic state. And if you don't do that, then you're starting to have an environment in your body where disease can take hold. Um, in terms of sleep, um, when your nervous system is stressed, we've got a little part of the brain called the amygdala, which most people know about. It's the little part of our brain that's always vigilant, looking for danger. If you've ever had a newborn baby in your life, you'll know that even when you're sound asleep, if that baby cries, you'll hear it, even in the middle of the night. And it's like there's always this little part of our brain that's scanning for danger. When you are feeling stressed, it becomes hypervigilant. It actually grows in size a little bit, surprisingly, and you will be hypervigilant to anything that could be dangerous. This is all happening at a level outside of your conscious awareness. So it's like you're always on and, and it really disturbs your sleep a lot because instead of just being a little bit vigilant, it's looking all the time. And sleep is seen as a danger. The lion could creep in and kill you, you know, so you've got to stay alert and it really interrupts our sleep patterns. So it's sort of, and that manifests then in that you feel 
dreadful the next day and then your mood is affected and it just carries on. Well, and you're affected the next day because if you don't sleep well, then you're not having the metabolic processing that you're meant to have. You're meant to have three to five cycles going in and out of deep sleep and coming up into a lighter sleep during the night, as you know. Um, And so when you don't have that, you're not actually getting rid of those dead cells in your body that you're meant to sloth off in the morning. So you're carrying around a toxic load of waste matter in your body that's meant to be processed while you sleep. So that's that foggy feeling you get in your brain and in your body. And we, we know we can't survive without good sleep in the long term because you get a buildup of toxic matter. The good news about that is that if you put a meditation or a relaxation in during the day, you can recoup some of the losses that you experience from not getting a good sleep at night. I think that's really good news. And you've developed a a new way or a new approach towards Mm. this, and you've called it the heartnessity method. So could you explain that and take us through your approach? Sure. Firstly, I'll just say that when I was looking for a name for my business last year, just every name in the world has been taken. (laughs) I I looked for them all. Um, And so I made up a word, heartnessity, for my business. And the heart represents heart-based living. There's a lot of neural circuitry around the heart, and I don't think we use it enough. And synchronicity is about making sense of our experiences through life. So heart and synchronicity created heartnicity. And the method that I came up with um, is quite well known in several, in some of the 12-step programs, but I use it slightly differently. It's um, awareness, acceptance, and action. So awareness is really about becoming a witness in your life. We are this, we have this amazing brain that can actually witness ourselves thinking. We can witness ourselves acting. We're not sure if any other animals can do that, but we know that we can. So it's really about harnessing your mind so that you can observe yourself, becoming aware of how you think and feel. Once you become aware, then you can make different choices. You can transform the way you see the world, reduce the harmful stress, make more life-enhancing choices You know, on a day-to-day, year-to-year basis. Acceptance, the second step, really is about freedom. I'm sure you've heard that phrase, what you resist persists. (laughs) You know, Carl Jung famously created that quote a long time ago, 120 years ago or something. If you resist people or situations, they don't actually go away. But by resisting it, you actually give more of your attention to it and it becomes this vicious cycle and can become quite stressful. It's like, I don't want to feel anxious. I don't want to feel that. I don't want to feel that. I don't want to know about that. I wish this traffic was different. I wish my husband was different. I wish my boss was different. And when we're holding people and situations in resistance, it actually holds a lot of tension in the body. Once you let go of resistance, you kind of liberate yourself, body, mind and spirit. It it does require a willingness to surrender and not necessarily be right about everything. But it's really about moving away from that victim mentality And then you kind of move into a state of heightened personal power and you kind of breathe into life instead of holding yourself back from it, wishing things were different. And the last part in my little method is action. And action to me is about heart-based action, founded on true service and a sense of personal integrity, what really means something to you, acting in line with what your own personal meaning is. And so about identifying what's important to you in your heart and mind your unique reason for living. And when you act from a place of personal meaning, it activates all of the chemicals in your body that are really good for us. 
you know, it's helpful stress. So it's really about recognizing what lights you up, gives you lots of energy to live. And I call it a path of heart when you are living in that way. That's gorgeous. And could you just talk through some examples of how you apply this? Because obviously there's three stages and, you know, Mm. people might need to know how it's applied. Sure. Well, I mean, I think that when you live on a path of heart, it's about having like an equilibrium between the heart and the brain, using your intuition, you might say. But when you use it together, you know, that's when you really start to live your life in a really wonderful way. So it's, it's a bit hard, even though I've heard hundreds and possibly thousands of stories from my clients and participants over the last 30 years, I feel I kind of need to keep their stories a bit confidential. But I can tell you, would you like to hear a little bit of how I've used it in my life? Yes, yes, that's, that's a great example, <laughs> drinking um, your own champagne. Oh, I have to use it every day, Bev. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm constantly being aware of where I move towards a stressful life and move away from a stressful life and what actually brings me peace. So my own story, I mean, I've always lived with chronic anxiety. Right from a small child, I, I recognize anxiety was present. As I grew up, I started self-medicating with alcohol in my teens and into my 20s. After I had children, I cut back on the alcohol, but I still had a, a huge amount of anxiety going. So I guess what I've done over the years is, firstly, I've become a lot kinder to myself and I've forgiven myself for not getting it right when I was younger and perhaps giving myself a hard time. And what I do is I do a mindfulness meditation practice, which really, really helps me to regulate the overwhelm of emotions that can go on inside me. So rather than getting home and reaching for a glass of wine now, I get home and I have a five or ten minute meditation practice. And I find that the craving for the wine or the food or whatever it is that I've self-medicated with often dissipates when I do that, and then I have much greater choice. I also love that prayer, the serenity prayer, which is to basically um, accept the things I cannot change, change the things I can, and have the wisdom to know the difference. To me, this is the essence of a good life, you know, and I have surrendered so much of my resistance to life. Recently, I was driving up um, on the north coast, and I was following my iPhone, Um, which was giving me GPS directions, you know, it says turn left, turn right, you do what you're told, don't you? (laughs) And I I was going to this resort up in Diamond Beach and uh, the iPhone took me down a road which then said six kilometres of dirt road. And I knew I was only five minutes from a five-star resort, so being on five kilometres of dirt road seemed a bit odd to me. And as I went in, the potholes got deeper and deeper the cars coming towards me on one one lane road got faster and faster. I felt quite unsafe and was beginning to become quite anxious. I was going, oh, this iPhone, why is it taking me here? This can't be happening. Should I turn around? You know, I was getting really stressed about it. And then I thought, Margie, this is what you teach. You know, here you are having this huge reaction, resisting it. So I just pulled, slowed down, turned the air conditioning off, put the windows down, And I found myself in the middle of a rainforest and the birds were singing and it was smelled divine and I just spent the next three kilometres going slowly through this rainforest until eventually it came out the other side. While I was resisting it and saying it shouldn't be this way, the iPhone's fault, you know, it was the iPhone's fault, it was a horrible life. The minute I just relaxed and said, okay, what do you want to do? 
Do you want to turn around? Do you want to keep going? Make a choice. Life just became easy. So what I do, my top tip for people is to consult your heart when you're making decisions, not just your mind. In the West, we tend to overprivilege the mind and what it has to tell us. But I sit and I actually imagine myself breathing through my heart and then I make my decision. And it's, it's a whole lot easier when you do that. You know, the heart has a whole neural circuitry of its own and it really has a great ability to add to the information that we've got coming from our own sense of what's right in the world. That's a great example. So did you get there? I we did. need to know. <laughs> I got there and I said to the girl, I said, do you know that the uh, GPS takes you through a six kilometres of dirt track? And she said, oh, yes, everyone does that. It's a real problem. <laughs> so I said, they said, we can't change Google, you know, we, we can't change it. So uh, yeah, it was a known problem, but I didn't know it. Mm. When we talk about, you know, simple practices, mm. you've mentioned a few of them, but can you share some simple practices for managing daily stress so yep. that people can incorporate it and make it achievable in their day? Sure. As you say, I think it needs to be achievable and therefore it needs to be simple. So to develop awareness, I recommend sitting in quiet contemplation every day just to connect with yourself. A meditation, if you have a meditation practice, is excellent. But even if that's not something you particularly want to do, just sit in quietly with no phone, no distractions, just sitting quietly somewhere for five or five minutes or more and just noticing, noticing your thoughts, they come and go. Somebody on a course recently said that I really loved it. She said, I get it, feelings come and go, thoughts come and go, but I remain stable. And I thought that's so lovely. She could see the thoughts and feelings coming but know that she was so much more than those thoughts and feelings. So meditation is wonderful, but don't make the meditation right and yourself wrong. Find one that's easy, that works for you, and make it really doable. The shortcut to developing acceptance is to practice gratitude, if you want the quick way in. It can be quite counterintuitive sometimes, but it's a real healing balm, for, especially for those people who drive you nuts, you know, to sit there and go, I, I know it sounds a little bit corny, but to actually feel some gratitude for what that person's bringing to your life, even if it's a lesson that you didn't particularly want. <laughs> you know, those people that irritate us often are the ones that have the greatest lessons for us. And we're, yeah. usually, we're usually married or related to them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, you could make a list of five things that you feel grateful for before bed. That produces a chemistry in your body that's very healing and great for sleep, actually. Well, once I did it for a whole month, I decided every day I'd look for something to photograph that I could feel grateful for that day. So it kept my radar up all day for looking for that thing I was going to photograph. So it really puts you in a lovely state of, um, of alkaline chemistry when you're focusing on gratitude. Um, and to develop the action, the heart-based living stuff, I actually recommend people take time every so often to do a little review of their life. Just take an afternoon. Go and sit in a park or go to the beach or... Wait till everyone's out if you live with other people. I've actually got a worksheet on my website for anyone that wants to use that. Just It's called the Path of Heart Worksheet. And you can just go through the questions, you know. What's important to me right now? Am I acting in line with my heart? What is anything I need to change right now? And if you give yourself a couple of hours, quite often interesting answers will come. 
You could even do it with a girlfriend or, or a mate and um, have them ask, ask each other the questions. It's a lovely thing to do. But um, it's hard. You have to do make that choice to make a few hours to just think about, are you on track? That's so true because yeah. we just – we're on the treadmill and off we go, you mm-hmm. know. So sometimes stopping and taking stock like that's really good to that. So absolutely, we talk about, you know, managing daily stress. And so you've given some real tangible examples of how you can actually quieten your mind and sort of come to that point of uh, letting go of the resistance mm. and those sort of things. So for people who actually get stuck in their heads, mm-hmm. Are, are there any other tips that you could suggest for them? You know, because that rumination is often where a lot of the stress sits um, rather than in the real world. It's sort of what we've either placed meaning on or on the experience. Yep. yep, sure. I think that the rumination is what creates stress, as you say, because first comes the thought and then we have the panic or the worry about it that comes afterwards. So... You know, first of all, we don't want to demonize the mind. It's a wonderful thing, our mind. It's just that there's that wonderful quote, the mind is a beautiful servant but a dangerous master. A, a beautiful servant but a dangerous master. So awareness, that's why awareness is so important, to be able to be aware of what you're thinking. Because you don't want to believe everything you think. You know, most of it is delusional. So if you've got a lot going on in your mind, Um, And this really comes from Katria King. It's one of the things I've learned from her over the years, is that the mind will always be all over the place in the past, thinking about everything, how it should have been, could have been, or in the future, creating scenarios that you need to worry about, you know, what if. But the body is always present. So if you come back to the body, feel your bottom in the chair, your feet on the ground, notice the breath in your body, it will always lead you back to the presence. And when you're present, it's very hard, although some people can manage it, but it's very hard to actually be ruminating. Coming back to the present means coming back into your body. That will always help you to get out of the head. Do something physical, go for a walk, sit quietly and think through or or feel through your body. That's going to make a huge difference. Hmm. And that also gets you to understand the connection between your thoughts and your emotions too. So like where am I feeling this in my body? Yeah. And allowing you to sort of go through that process without taking it back into a thinking process, keeping it in the body. Yeah. Well, you know, there's no thought without a feeling. They're parallel. They're always there together. But some people, they live their life from the neck up. So they think that if you ask them where their sense of self belongs, they would point to their head. But in actual fact, we just lose contact with the body. So anything you can do to bring yourself down into your body, through exercise, through yoga, through a a mindfulness meditation where you come down and notice your hand on the, you know, maybe the washing the dishes mindfulness meditation where you feel the soap suds and you feel the warm water. Or if you're in the shower, you know, often you can be in the shower and not even feel you've been in the shower. Your mind is off somewhere else. So practice feeling the water, noticing the smell of the soap, you know, coming back into the body. That's the way through that. Beautiful. So would you like to tell me about your book, Getting to the Heart of Stress? So many books have been written. And when I wanted to write a book, I thought, I really think that stress underlies, or that bad stress, uh, really underlies so many of the problems that we have in our world. So I really want people to transform stress so it can give people that renewed energy for living. 
So in the book, um, it's about understanding stress and understanding the mechanisms of it in your body and mind, and then using my method, the Hartnessity method, to um, bring greater meaning and purpose to your life. So I've called, I use some of the latest sort of scientific research into neuroplasticity, physiological and psychological theories, understanding how the nervous system works and really practical strategies to uh, address each of the parts of the method. So it's really aimed at assisting people to understand, recognize and reduce as well as managing the symptoms of harmful stress while mobilizing that gorgeous energy available from that dynamic tension. And the dynamic tension is what I call the good stress. That's when you're acting in line with what lights you up and gives you lots of energy and meaning in your life. People have such a loss of meaning. They go, what's the point? I just get on the treadmill every day. Every day feels the same. There's no joy. And it's like, that's just because they're exhausted. And once you start to give your body a little bit more support, the nervous system more support to relax, you actually start to find you have more energy for life and relationships. So that's where I come from in my little book. Mm, that's beautiful. And so what are your tips for living fabulously, Margie? So I guess in a nutshell, my tips, if you like, is to firstly really start to, to love yourself. I know that sounds a little bit twee, but really that's what it's about. And to notice where you don't love yourself, because a lot of people don't think they're good enough, you know. But we need to start questioning those beliefs. Any belief that you have that tells you you are less than brilliant, we need to, need to really question that. You know, we need to indulge in loving self-care every day, if only for a minute. Now, when you wake up, before you get busy, look out the window and take a breath. You know, put a post-it note on your computer that reads, one slow breath, and just do it regularly. Have it on your desk at work, and no one will even know. You know, just take that one deep, long, slow breath. The last thing you need to do is be willing to live fabulously. You know, to keep seeking and don't accept less than living fabulously. Now, I think if you're a seeker, it will always keep you on the right path. Never give up. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you, Margie. And you can find Margie, um, her website is www.heartnessity.com and on Facebook, also under Heartnessity. And Margie, thank you so much for sharing your insights and your journey. And I think some of my takeaways have been around this. You mentioned the path of the heart and coming from such an intellect society, this whole concept of consulting your heart and decisions is really beautiful. And then I really like the simple ways you've uh, shared with us about building your awareness through quiet contemplation in noticing those thoughts as they come and go. And then practicing gratitude mm-hmm. to build your acceptance yeah. of what is. And then taking time to review your life and then take the action that will re calibrate or put you onto the path of where you want to be and need to be. Um, So those three things were really wrapped up in there. And I think the constant reminder that your body is in the present, especially for somebody who is grappling with overwhelm, you know, to come back to the breath, to come back to, as you say, the physicalness of your body in a chair, your feet on the floor, those type of things and using that breath. You know, those are the short term things, but you've given us some other longer term ideas um, of how to bring ourselves to to that equilibrium. So thank you very much. And, you know, the interesting thing is when you do one or two small things differently, it actually has a much more profound effect than you think it would. 
go with the small thing. Yes, keep it small and simple. Yes. yes. Beautiful. <laughs> thank you so much, Margie. Oh, thank you for your time as well. It's been lovely talking to you, Beth. Thank you so much for listening, and I would love to know what you enjoyed most about this episode. You can connect with me on Facebook by searching for Living Fabulously with Bev, or feel welcome to leave a message or comment on my website. You can get the links and any references from this episode in the show notes at my website, www.livingfabulously.com forward slash podcasts. Do you have a friend who you think deserves to live fabulously? Spread the love around by sharing the podcast with them right now. Until next time, be sure to live the fab life. The information shared here and in our programs and webinars should not be seen as medical advice and is not meant to take the place of seeing licensed health professionals.